0: You are listening to the Wesley Seminary Podcast out of Wesley Seminary at IWU. Your host today is Dr. Aaron Perry, Assistant Professor of Pastoral Care. Whether or not it's comforting, it's important to realize that what it means to grow in the Lord is not a recent question. I say whether or not it's comforting because people have been wrestling with this question for many, many years, and yet it might be comforting because we can draw on the wisdom of people who have wrestled with it before us, people who have, we might even say, advanced further than us in their growth in the Lord, and whose paths can illuminate our own, whose steps can start to be ones that we walk in as well. What does it mean to grow in the Lord? Is perhaps one of the best parts of Dr. Patrick Eby's recent publication, The Heart of Charles Wesley's Theology. Dr. Dr. Eby is soon-to-be associate professor of church history here at Wesley Seminary, and I consider him a friend as well. And so it's a real delight to have him on the podcast today. Welcome, Dr. Eby. Thank you. So for our listeners, what does it mean to grow in the Lord, and how can Charles Wesley help us?
1: Well, when we think of Charles Wesley, he has what I think is like a core set of beliefs that guide him through all of the different questions that he experiences. So uh, in the book, I look at his life in four different time frames, and each of those time frames has its own messiness. But this core uh, set of values that he learned from Henry Google in a book called The Life of God and the Soul of Man are the same kind of questions that I see him bringing to his life uh, in each time period. And those those core values he learned with uh, from Henry Schugel are that the beginning of uh, our Christian walk is faith. This deep and utter dependence upon God that moves towards a living relationship with God. And it expresses itself in four basic uh, ideas. It's learning how to love God better. It's learning how to love our neighbor and the stranger better. It's learning to become more focused in our Christian walk, so that everything revolves about our growth in God. and And the word that uh, Google uses, the word that John Wesley uses, or Charles Wesley uses with that is purity. So maybe Kierkegaard, Garden, you know, to will one thing. What does it mean to to will one thing? And the last thing is humility. And this is the one where uh, Charles is maybe a little bit at, at odds with his brother, but just the idea that this pursuit of growth. It's something that we strive for, but not something that we examine ourselves too much or tell everybody how well we're doing with it. It's about this deep dependence upon God and a gratitude that flows out of that. I like how you said that
0: these questions emerge, or this this pursuit for growth in the Lord, uh, emerged in different periods of Charles' life. And certainly, we all know what it's like to be in different seasons of life. Uh, Seasons of being educated, Mm -hmm. seasons of Uh, Perhaps seeking a first job or changing jobs, seasons of having young children, perhaps seasons of having children who are leaving the home or starting to be educated themselves. Mm -hmm. And yet in each one of them, our hearts can continually be called back to God in what have you for me now? Mm -hmm. Who are you that I can discover fresh and anew and be reminded of? Now, uh, how did you, how were some of Charles's insights at different points in his life? How did they relate to your own pursuit of growth
1: in the Lord in your own journey? I think seeing Charles struggle with these, like so, the issues that he is struggling with are issues I think that are for me also this idea of humility, which means a kind of an, a vulnerability that I learned from Charles. This willingness to to look at himself and not think, "Oh, I'm." I have to present myself as this model citizen so people will follow me. Instead, he kind of said, these are the struggles I'm having. These are the places where I, I need to grow. So learning vulnerability with Charles would be one of the things. Learning how do you take this uh, commitment to, to willing to one thing, this singleness, um, this asceticism that is early in their lives. How does that work when you have a family? you know so when he has musical sons how does he how does he navigate the kind of polarities that people are throwing at him that you think you're for simplicity patrick yet you're a professor at a university those seem at odds with each other to me so when i see charles struggle with that you know you're you're for simplicity you got these kids playing for princes how does that how does that work how can we be simple and focused and yet, still have positions that seem powerful to the world.
0: Let's te- let's key on one of the the potential tensions that you mentioned, and that was a sense of vulnerability. And certainly, one of the words that we use that's used in leadership circles today is authenticity. Mm-hmm. And the tension is how do I know uh, when and how authentic to be? Because as a in some of my classes, what we'll talk about is not everybody can be or should be entrusted with all of who you are. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, can't, they can't receive all of who you are because it puts on them a burden yeah. of questions asked about how much about me that they now know are they free to share? Yeah. How do they treat me and react to me in light of what they know about me? And yet, at the same time, leaders are called upon to be vulnerable people and to display certain amounts of vulnerability. Or else, there's just this hard shell. There's this hardness to them, uh, invulnerability, and and appearances of, of even arrogance or pride. And so, there's a real tension of of vulnerability and and how that uh, should be modeled and to what extent and in what community. Yeah. How do you think that Charles's own life, what wisdom can be gleaned from Charles's life
1: uh, and his theology about appropriate displays of vulnerability? Well, this I think, where you, you look at a person who's so prolific in poetry. So he's written 9,000 poems, about 6,000 we might qualify as hymns. And in those, we see him working out the faith. We see him working out what does it mean that God is in the earthquake. Mm-hmm. We see what it means for someone to lose a child. And, and as he experiences this himself, we see how his poetry changes is and reshaped where he's allowed to say, you know what, I think I'll always experience the grief of my firstborn losing my child. You know, he lost five children. Him and his wife lost five children in infancy. Oh. And before he lost those children, you know, his poetry read something like suck it up. You know, this is there in heaven. You know, everything's good. You should be happy about that. Hmm. After that, the person who wrote that there were simple answers wrote, you know, this grief is something that stays with us. This is a a hard loss. And to me, that's a vulnerability of I don't have all the answers. Sometimes I just suffer knowing that God loves me. And so his poetry just changes flavors as he experiences a loss in his life. And so instead of doubling down and saying, I'm going to continue to post not what I feel, but what I'm supposed to feel. So what I learned from him is that being honest with my emotions of you know doubt, of, of loss, of grief, that's a part of what it takes for us actually to experience healing instead of bottling those up. So I think that would be a place where An appropriate amount of vulnerability. Now, where do you share that at? When do you share that? That's something that has to be worked out practically. Um, This is not from Charles. This is just something that I learned someplace, and I wish I could credit it. But uh, you share your scabs, not your wounds. Mm -hmm. Um, So when it's fresh and you stand before the congregation and you share it, they become basically your counselor.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And and you're actually dumping on them. You're not helping them. Mm -hmm. But once it's healed over and you start to have some answers of where the vulnerability needs to be and where some of this assurance needs to be, then you can start to share it both from the sense of the weakness that you experience and the answers that you experience. So, And I think that that's what Charles does is that he, as he works through these poet, poems that he writes primarily, he is sharing both the hope he has in God and the vulnerability, the, the weakness, the suffering, the struggle that we experience on this side of heaven. And both of those are are captured in his poetry. I find it so
0: important that you've shared some of the real life of history that we can often forget. We forget time periods in which people are in where infant, infant mortality would have been much higher than it is mm-hmm. today. And losing of five children, the tragedy of that, that couldn't help but make and remake a person's theology Mm -hmm. and and what it meant what it meant to suffer um so thank you for sharing Mm -hmm. that for sharing that with us uh you mentioned this idea of sharing our scabs and not our wounds and this this phrase the, the idea of sharing the journey maybe that you came through Uh, on the other side of, of healing and Mm -hmm. restoration while you're still finding appropriate people in the midst of, Mm -hmm. in the midst of healing, um, that you're finding safe people to share that with that might not be the wide, the wider community. What came to mind is, is there evidence of Charles Wesley sharing preliminary versions of poems with some people that he might trust more closely than before they were published? (laughs) And did he receive insight into the, into poetry to have it, uh, for lack of a better word, analyzed or reflected upon, or was he writing in, in community in different ways before it was published, or um,
1: or not? Okay. There are three volumes on my shelf of unpublished poetry of Charles Wesley, which we get not from published works, obviously, but from manuscripts that either they're sent to his wife, um, they're sent to somebody else, or they're just scribbled in a in a in a journal or their rework so that he's not necessarily publishing everything that he writes. I would say his number one reader um, critic would be his wife. I mean, Mm. a lot of the things we find he was writing, you know, that he writes to his wife, he includes the poetry at times with her. So that would be a source of feedback for where he's at. I think, um, Every Sunday afternoon, when you get together with Methodists, you know, and you're doing your society meeting, and you're singing, and and they're using them as devotionals, you know, he's he's living in this community that's using his work, and he's seeing which ones of them they like to sing again and again, <laughs> and he's seeing which ones fall off, you know, and he's he's seeing how people rewrite his poetry, to his chagrin at times. So, yeah, he's he's writing in the community. And the things that, you know, rise to the top, you know, that get republished again and again. And sometimes they're not even things his brother likes. I mean, one of his favorite, uh, one of his uh, most famous one is Jesus, uh, Jesus Lover of My Soul. Well, John thought that was sappy. Hmm. But Charles, everybody else liked it. It kept getting republished. It became like one of the heartbeat type of hymns. that well, we don't sing anymore. We don't know this this one like that time period. But so... Cells would drive, you know, his understanding of what was going on, too. And it, he wrote for Christian Year type of reflections too. So he has, during the midst of the revival, he writes for you know Ascension Day and Resurrection Day and uh, with you know, uh, with Sunday so Pentecost, uh, he writes for the Nativity hymns. So I mean, he's he's very much writing for a church and a Christian calendar. And experiences, and the fact that he has a whole collection of funeral hymns mm. says that when he did his first funeral hymn and you it know, was read, there must have been some kind of response that said, "Hey, this is worth doing right. so he continues to do it so I, I think he 's writing in a community that 's uh, saying, "Yeah, give us more
0: yeah one, one of the so important parts of history is that we forget part of who we are. Or we have, um, we neglect part of who we might be Mm -hmm. and who we once were. Um, And so I appreciate the work of historians like yourself and people who are putting together hymnals. Uh, In my own home, we have one that I'll I'll flip through and look through. And I stumbled across one, uh, a hymn of Charles Wesley that I'd never heard before called Come Thou Traveler Unknown. Mm -hmm. And first verse of it goes like this, Come Thou Traveler Unknown, whom still I hold but cannot see. My company before is gone, and I am left alone with thee. With thee all night I mean to stay and wrestle till the break of day. The the song goes on to describe the the this wrestling that he has. It's a telling of his relationship with God in light of the story of of Jacob and the mm-hmm. angel of the Lord from from Genesis. And uh, I had never heard it, and I thought it was. So rich to come back and discover it, and then came back to find that it was one of he regarded it as one of his best, mm-hmm. you know I was asking you about it and you said it was one of one of his best. Uh, are there any parts from charles charles 's collection or his life that you think is is kind of in danger of being forgotten or neglected that the church today needs to be reminded of, or people to do it today mm-hmm. who have this desire to grow in the Lord can really latch onto and mm-hmm. grab onto and say um a real
1: gift from Charles West that they could mm-hmm. grab onto today. Um, what I think is really uh, exciting about studying Charles is that some theology is better sung than studied. So, for instance, when I read his hymns on the Trinity, and it's it's basically just affirmations of our belief in the Trinity, and it's broken down hymns on the Father, hymns on the Son. Hymns on the spirit, hymns on the threeness, hymns on the oneness. Uh, and you get through and you read that hymnal. And at the end of it, I go, you know what? I I believe in the Trinity now more than I ever have. Mm-hmm. Don't understand it anymore. But that affirmation, that just putting that on in paper and just reading it and hearing him just struggle with it, and talk about the mystery. Um, the, there's these key hymnals like that that, we don't sing the hymnals, right? We, we don't sing all of these hymns on the Trinity. I would, I would be surprised how many of them have stayed in our hymnals. And the fact that we're not even singing hymns today would make it even more likely to, to lose whatever flavor we're getting from Charles. But hymns on the Trinity, he has hymns on the Lord's Supper. I already mentioned the hymns on the Christian year. Um, each of these makes a nice uh, addition to, like if you're gonna study Christmas, Read the hymns on the Trinity, you know. Uh, Our God contracted to a span, incomprehensibly made man. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite lines from that hymnal, and and memorizing those hymns as much as possible and kind of letting just the mystery of the incarnation, what does it mean that God became man? So yeah, there's he, his topical type of hymnals, I think, would be something we'd want to recover and use as much as possible. And they're all available on uh, the Duke website in the Wesley Studies Tradition area right now. So you can go and just look at the, the list of, I think it's probably like 70 or 80 hymnals that are published during his lifetime. And they're all collected there with some historical notes by Randy Maddox. And I'd encourage you to find those. And if you want hard copies, you know, the Charles Wesley Society s- sells uh, copies of some of the Uh, most important hymnals that he published during his lifetime. Joining
0: us today has been Dr. Patrick Eby, author of the recently published The Heart of Charles Wesley's Theology, published by Emmeth Press. And uh, thank you so much, Patrick, for refreshing us and reminding us of the gift of Charles Wesley, not just to to those of Wesleyan tradition today, but to the broader church at large. My pleasure. And we hope that you'll take the opportunity to explore some of Charles Wesley's hymns. Uh, Patrick has mentioned the resource at the Duke University website. And we've also mentioned the resource of the Heart of Charles Wesley's Theology, Patrick's recent publication. But of course, there are other resources that you can check out. And we hope you'll explore some of the resources that we make available through Wesley Seminary, including this podcast. So check us out on Facebook and our Twitter feed as well. Thanks so much for joining us and have a great day. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter under the name Wesley Seminary.